Fred Price, uh, I think it was yesterday, went home to be with the Lord. Um, he's fought a battle uh, also with COVID, and, uh, and he has entered his eternal reward. He's a giant in our generation of faith. Um, I graduated from a faith school, one the Brother Hagen, but I learned some things from listening to Fred Price that I didn't learn from sitting there all those years, those two years, under the teaching that I got out there. And we had the privilege of having him here several times in this pulpit. In fact, we picked up some people because of that, and I'm so grateful for the people we picked up. Um, so just keep his family and his church in prayer um, because it's a tremendous loss, and, uh, it's, but it's heaven's gain. What we're going to do this morning, most of you are probably aware by now, those of you that are watching online, that our dear brother Denny Sullivan uh, Friday went home to be with the Lord. And I'm going to do something I don't know that I've ever done before. I'm really focusing a whole service um, on not just him, but a recent... I'll tell you why this is important. Um, first of all, I'm going to make some comments about Denny. That's, you can't make enough comments about Denny. But um, um, uh, oh, before I do that, I want to make this announcement. Uh, we don't know what the arrangements can be at this point. There's some complications because the, um, the burial site is at the Veterans Cemetery and they basically tell us when we can do it and that they won't be open until Tuesday. So we won't know until Tuesday exactly what the arrangements are going to be and when they're going to be. So there are two things you can do to find out, really three. You can go to the Funeral Homes website, which is Maceroni.com, not Macaroni, Maceroni. And you can go to our website on Tuesday. We'll post it there. And we may be able to even send, send something out because I know so many people, so many people want to know. Um, we've had a number of significant people in this church that have gone on to their reward. But there's a reason why I want to spend some time and highlight Denny. Several reasons. Denny was, was and really still is part of the fabric of Faith Christian Center. You, you cannot separate this church and what it is from Denny. Yeah. I can't look at it. Don sent me a little picture last night of his membership certificate. And he's in a unique class because he's a charter member. He was in the initial membership class of Faith Christian Center back in eight, nine, not 18, 19. <laughs> he's old, but not that old. 1982. I'm older than he was. Um, he was a close, very close personal friend of Pastor Sam, the founding pastor of this church. They were fishing buddies. Someone made the comment to me today that on... Friday, late Friday morning, he was greeted by Pastor Sam with one of his hugs that you'll never forget if you got one, his hugs, and a fishing rod. <laughs> and some of their stories are legendary. Um, 
He is the longest serving elder. He was one of our elders. He's the longest serving elder of the existing elders. Um, a very loving, faithful member of this church. I've found out as he's been going through this battle how many people's lives he touched. Um, and not just here. Missionaries that they helped. He was an extremely loving father to his girls. Loving member of Don's family and his family. A close friend to many people here in the church. And a very close friend of mine. Denny and I were very different. <laughs> Denny and a lot of people were very different. I think it was the beginning of this month, maybe, or maybe it was near the end of last month, I made a, shared some of my testimony about my struggle with accepting the Lord and with doing what God called me to do was that all my training is in logic and reasoning. <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't planning on any of that. Denny came up to me. Denny came up to me afterwards. That's okay. You want to come up and... Okay. Denny came up to me, standing right over there. And he said, I turned to Dawn and she said the same thing to me. And she said, I know why God's connected you two together. He said, you're rational and focused and I'm emotional all over the place. And that was Denny. But it was all heart. Denny had an amazing, and, and still does. In talking with Dawn yesterday, she said, it, it bothers me so much when people talk about Denny in the past tense. Because Denny's not in the past tense. Denny's more alive today than he ever was when he walked on this earth among us. But Denny's passion and heart was just, he wore it on his sleeve. And our, uh, it, it was challenging at times, but I loved the challenge because I'd look at him and I'd never know where he was coming from because <laughs> words of prophecy may come out of his mouth and not, he could have come where anywhere. But his heart was always coming out of him, whatever he did. And we need that so desperately, so desperately. You don't have a microphone, so you're going to have to say it to me and I'll interpret it. <laughs> i got a message i got to do still. <laughs> he was a pillar in the church. Yeah, he's a pillar in the church. Told me that. He was a pillar in the and church. He sat there and he was a pillar. And I missed him so much, I couldn't stop crying when I found out. No. And I just want to tell you, though, that all of a sudden, I just felt him. He's up with Jesus. Yeah. And it oh, just yeah. lifted and helped me to bear it. It's our loss, but that really helped me. But it's, there's no way to, the words to say the love. And he was our family because... He was very much involved with our family, too. Yeah. 
faithfulness, his loyalty, his strength. And I know it wasn't easy. (laughs) When I ended up in the position I'm in now, almost 12 years ago, he came to me and he said, I'm going to start sitting back there because I don't know, I don't want to presume anything. And I said, no, I need you sitting right here. I need you sitting here. I did too. Because there's a spiritual connection that I had with him. That was God had put together for my sake, and I have one with each of the elders, Mm -hmm. but I have more than a spiritual with you. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) thank you, dear. Um, And so there was there was a significance that he brought to my life personally, and 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 God's always faithful to replace whatever we need, but nobody can really replace Denny. So. I want to talk about some things this morning, and I'm going to let you sit down. He was a loving father. I talked about that, my friend. So, but you can sit down now. Yeah, I'm done. I'm ready now. Thank you. But the other reason I want to spend time talking about him, because we've had other elders and other significant people that have gone home to be with the Lord and we've had wonderful celebrations of their life but what's a little different about this is we've all gone through with Dawn and her girls and her family over the last four or five weeks this battle that he's had we prayed together as a church we believed together as a church many of you online some of you may not even be part of this church but you prayed and believed and we've had other people that aren't even here that I know that he's contacted and have relationship with that have prayed and believed and confessed and done all the things we know to do. And we didn't get the result that we prayed for. God's timing is amazing because I began a series on faith several weeks ago. And although I didn't quite finish the message last week, I, I knew was, I need to move on because the next subject that I was going to address is what happens when your faith seems to fail. And so the timing could not be any more perfect. Not that you ever want to have timing around something like this. So I want to talk today about that to try to help us all navigate through the hope we had, the prayers, the faith we had out there, and the results that we're facing today. So we're going to turn to the Word of God. The scripture that we've used is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. And I've talked to you about the word walk doesn't just mean putting one foot in front of the other. It's living your life from one day to the other. Yeah, D2L and um, um, Jumpstart, you've been dismissed, so you can go. It's living your life one day at a time, one really moment at a time, by faith and not by sight, which refers to our physical senses. We've talked about it's the only way that we can live through these difficult times and even through what we're facing now. It's the only way that we can live and finish our journey well. Because we've had so many other things to support our lives, medically, 
economically. We've not had to really learn, as some of our brothers and sisters in third world countries have had to learn, how to really live by faith every day. Many of our brothers and sisters have to live by faith to eat, for shelter, for safety, because they're being persecuted. And we've been blessed in one sense to live in a culture and in a nation where all those things have been up until now secure and easily obtained. So we've not been forced to have to live by faith. We've been forced at times to have to develop our faith or exercise our faith when we've gotten into emergency. But sometimes it's too late when you're in an emergency if you haven't learned to do it all along. But as I've shared with you, there's been a shift that's took place last year. And that shift is in our world that we live in, in our nation we live in, in our communities we live in, even in the way church is conducted, where we're going to have to learn to live by faith, or we're going to have a major struggle. And so it's important to recognize that and wake up to that now. We began looking at what faith is, and we talked about that the Bible says that faith is, in essence, the ability to live in this natural world with confidence in the spirit realm and the promises that God's made with the same assurance we'd have if we could actually see them and touch them and experience them. Faith is what allows us to live in a relationship with a God we can't see and we can't hear His audible voice most of, the, many time, most of the time, but live with the same confidence that He's really there and He's really listening to you and He really wants to answer your prayers. And we've talked about all these things. Faith is how we receive from God what He's promised. We've learned that from God's side, He's already done it. He's already provided everything He's ever going to provide for us. It takes faith to believe it's there and to believe it's ours to receive it. And the Bible tells us what faith is that will receive that promise. And this is the foundation for what we're going to talk about today. Jesus, the premier verse on faith, how to live by faith is Mark eleven twenty three and 24. Just Mark eleven twenty three. for surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast in the sea, and look at this, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says shall be done, he will have whatever he says. And he goes on in verse 24 to say, therefore believe that you have received something even before you see it. Romans 10, verse 9 and 10 is how you got saved. For if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. Notice Mark 11.23 says, and not doubt in your heart. Romans 10 verse 9 says, and verse 9 says, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Verse 10. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Keep your heart with all diligence, because out of your heart flow the issues, or the word is better, forces of life. So what these verses tell us 
is that biblical faith has to reside in your heart. If you believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, if you do not let doubt into your heart, guard your heart. Now we're not talking about the pump in your chest that pumps blood. It's the heart. It's the real essence of who you are down in here. Now that's important to understand that because this is where so many people miss it. Because what I was going to entitle this was What Faith Is Not. Because in order to understand what true biblical faith is, you have to also understand what it's not. Because many people that I minister to and talk to over the years believe they're in faith when they're not. Now I'm going to talk about the situation this morning later on. So don't start drawing conclusions from Denny to this, but I'm laying a foundation. The first thing that faith is not, that we'll talk about, well, let me put it this way. There's, this is all, in, you can download these notes, it's all laid out in the notes. There are several counterfeits to faith that we often mistake for genuine faith because it feels like faith, it seems like faith, and when you're listening to other people, it sounds like faith. So very often when our prayers aren't answered, but I was believing God, and the first place I go to look at is were you in real faith or in counterfeit faith? Now I don't want Dawn or family questioning their faith. I'm going to talk about that because this does not apply to what they did. But I want to lay a foundation because we all need to understand this. So the first counterfeit that I found to faith is mental assent mentally agreeing with something. And that's an important part of the process because something cannot get in your heart until your mind agrees with what you've read. I teach a course on renewing the mind and that's one of the basic things. Your mind is a gateway to your heart. It determines what gets into your heart and determines what comes out of your heart. So if your mind does not agree with something that you hear or something that you read in the Bible, it's never going to get in your heart. But your mind agreeing with it is not get letting it into your heart yet. It's like letting it, it's like putting the food in your mouth. You taste it, you're experiencing it. You've got an idea of what it's like. But if you don't swallow it, it never becomes part of your body. It doesn't do for your body what was intended, all the value of that food. And so when we just agree with something, when we understand the promises of God, when we agree with the promises of God, that's like eating the promise and tasting the promise and rolling it around in your mouth and enjoying it and then never swallowing it. It doesn't produce anything. It just gives you a taste of it. So I have found in my walk with people that most people that I listen to that believe they're in faith, what they're saying is, I agree with it. I believe it in my mind. But that's not what Jesus talked about. That's the beginning, but you can't stop there. And see, here's the problem is, it's much easier to believe it in your mind because in order to get it down in your heart requires work. There are some things I could have believed God for in my life that I just got lazy <laughs> and said, I'm not, I just don't want to put the work into it. It's work to meditate on God's Word. It takes 
diligence, it takes faithfulness, it takes determination to spend the time, especially if you don't have not done it up until then, to get what's in your head down into your heart. And here's the difference. When that happens, you know it's happened. The very first time I ever had to do that was a situation that I was standing for. I had been plagued with this condition for years, on and off. And I was in Bible school, a faith Bible school, and I was still struggling with this condition. And I finally got to the point where I had it. I was fed up with it. It wasn't life-threatening, but when it, when it afflicted me, it was debilitating. I couldn't walk. I couldn't function. And I finally said, that's it. God, I'm going to a... I left my law firm. I've moved halfway across the country, brought my family with me, and I'm still not getting results. And I felt God saying, because you're still not doing what it takes to get it in your heart. So I set a week aside. And I said, every time I don't have something I have to be thinking about, I'm going to be speaking that word to myself out loud. And I took one scripture, not a bunch of them, and I just spoke it and spoke it and spoke it and spoke it and spoke it. The end of that week, one of these symptoms came on me. And all of a sudden, I spoke, and what came out of my mouth was so powerful, it almost scared me. But that's because it came out of my heart instead of out of my head where it had come so many times. But that takes effort and work. And I had to go through it one time when Anita was afflicted with something. They found a tumor in her abdomen. And we did the same thing. We shut out all TV, everything else, and we just spent time meditating on God's Word. And all of a sudden, I could tell when it dropped from here to here. I knew the difference. So there's a difference between mental ascent and believing in your heart. Don't be discouraged. If you're in mental ascent, that's the great beginning. But don't stop there. Don't stop there. Mentally agreeing with a promise is not believing in your heart. Many believers stay in that point. Listen to this. Real faith... Listen very carefully. Embraces God's promise with their heart to the point that they identify with the answer. Let me explain that more carefully. Many people pray and believe and then still talk as if they don't have it. Use an example for a physical condition. Suppose you've got a physical condition and it's serious, all right? And you, you pray in faith and you take God's word and you go to God and say, I believe I've received this promise. And the next person you run into say, well, how are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay, but you know what they found in my body? And you talk about it as if it's still yours. Well, it, you can't have given it to Jesus and still have it as yours. And here's the danger. Because when we're struggling with things, even when you're struggling with a kind of fight that Dawn and her family has gone through, there can, there's a human tendency we have to want to get attention. They didn't do that. To want to get attention, to want to get some sympathy. I've just come through a battle with something. And it's been tempting when people say, well, well, how are you doing? Oh, you know what I had to go through? When I do that, I'm embracing it again. Because you see, if I've been healed, I, why would I go around looking for sympathy when, when I don't have it anymore? But see, it's the heart 
when my heart says one words, when my mouth says one thing, but my heart's really holding on to that because I'm getting some, or I don't yet really believe, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid if I confess that, that I'm well, then I'm not going to get the, the attention and the help I'm going to need. I'm still holding on to it with my heart. And some people aren't willing to let go of that because there are certain benefits to our flesh we get out of that. They did not do that. But I'm trying to teach all of us to avoid it. So the first counterfeit is mental assent. The second counterfeit, which is usually by people that are not really very mature in the Word, but is denial. So they believe that... See, the principles of faith... Oh, I'm going to say something. I forgot to get into this. My opening. And this is important. If we were a church... If we were a church that that did not believe that God answered prayers, if we were a church that did not believe that God performed miracles, if we were a church that did not believe these things, all we would be struggling with today is our loss. But we prayed for something in faith. We didn't do the things I'm trying to talk about. And we didn't get the results. And so that challenges our faith. I'm getting ahead of myself. I thought I forgot it, but it's, it's further down in my notes. You'll excuse me if I'm... So denial is taking the principles of faith and using them to avoid, to fa- avoid facing the na- human physical reality. So people that are in denial often deny... No, 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 no. There's, there's this big welt on the side of your face. Lafayette Scales uses this great example. <laughs> he had somebody in his church who was, was walking around church and his nose was running. He said, brother, what's, you know, you got a cold? No, I'm healed. That's, that's okay. But your nose is running. No, it's not. He grabbed him by the shirt, took him in the men's room and put his face in front of the mirror. Your nose is running. <laughs> Denying that your nose is running is not faith. Faith does not deny what's here. Faith says, I, I realize what's my, what that symptom is in my body. I realize that what the doctor said may be there. But faith recognizes that there's a, there's, there's a promise God's made in the spirit realm and in His Word that I have more confidence in what God said than in this. As I waited for a report from my doctor, from the surgery they did for the biopsy results, I kept speaking to myself, whose report will you believe? I won't deny his report. I'm blessed I got a good report. But whose report will you believe? Will I believe the report of the doctor? I won't deny it. I'll thank him for it. But I'm going to believe there's a report above that, which is Jesus bore my sicknesses and carried my diseases. So faith is not denying that something's there. God is truth. So truth doesn't deny something's there, but truth acknowledges that there's a higher truth, a greater truth that can change what's there. And the third thing we're going to talk about today in terms of what's a counterfeit is very often people are praying something and what they're trying to do is force their own will in the situation. And, and your will can be perfectly lined up with God's will, but if you're praying because it's your will and not God's will, you're not connected with His heart. 
God wants to do through you and through our prayers what will bring Him glory and accomplish His will. And our will should be lined up with His. But I've seen people just try to force their will in a situation, and that's not faith. That's exercising your will. And God's, God will not honor you exercising your will unless you're doing it to carry out His will. But what if we've done these things? What if we've been in real faith and yet we don't see the answer we believe for? And that's exactly what's happened with Denny. I'll go back over what I said before. That's the challenge of our faith. If we were not a church that believed that God responds to faith and that we serve a God who does miracles today, if we didn't believe that God's word meant exactly what he said and that we can trust his word, then all we would do today would be experiencing grief and a loss for the one that we've loved and who loved us. So what makes his passing so challenging today is that we are a church that does believe those things. I know that Dawn and many of us that were praying were exercising real faith. It was not mental assent. It was not denial. We were not trying to force our will. In one of the messages to me towards the end of the week, Dawn said to me as she was struggling with something, I'm not naive. And I answered her back, no, you're not. I've worked with some people dealing with serious situations, and I knew that they were not in faith. But as a pastor, sometimes you can tell people, and sometimes you just have to go through it with them. But I knew all those things I just talked about. Dawn and her family were not doing those things. Most of you praying here were not doing those things. We were really in faith. So how, how do we recon- reconcile this? We believed God's word. We prayed in faith. But he was not raised up. And there are others in this congregation that have gone through that same experience. So how do we reconcile what looks like a failure of our faith? See, it's one thing if we weren't in faith. There's an answer to it. But if we're really in faith and we don't get the result, how do you reconcile the results with faith? That's what we're going to talk about in the time we have left. First thing to understand, asking the question sincerely is normal and it's healthy. We shouldn't avoid this because sometimes we do it, but well, God, God needed Denley in heaven. Who's going to get him eventually anyway? Or, or you see sometimes, well, God needed another angel in heaven. That's not scriptural. That's, not, that's a way to avoid facing truth. God's not afraid to face truth. God's not afraid to face, and he's not afraid to have answers. He's not insulted by asking sincere questions. Because the fact that we ask the question means that we really were expecting a different result. And that's healthy. It's not unbelief to ask what happened. It's not unbelief to ask why did our faith seem to fail. In in Matthew 17, there's a story where we'll we'll look at a verse later on where where Jesus has been up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. And when he comes down, there's a commotion at the bottom of the mountain. There's a man who's brought his son who has what we would consider epilepsy, but it was a spirit. 
And he brought them to Jesus' disciples, his nine disciples that were left down there. And, and, and Jesus says, what's going on? And he says, I brought my son to your disciples and they couldn't cast the demon out. See, what we do is we, 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 we tend to conclude um, what's happened. Well, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. So, so Jesus bring, heals him and when the man leaves, the disciples, the nine, come to him and they ask Jesus, why didn't our prayers work? Jesus did not rebuke them for asking the question. And he answered, in their case, the question. In their case, it was unbelief. I'm not saying that's what it was here. I don't believe it was. All right? But they asked the question, and so it's healthy to ask the question. What's dangerous is to let our questioning stay and erode our faith. So there's some wrong responses. And these are very subtle. It's, it's, it's tempting to just give up on prayer. Well, it doesn't work. I, I mean, here, you got a whole church praying for somebody, and we didn't get the result. It would be wrong to give up on prayer. There's a more subtle danger with that. We keep on praying, but we don't expect results. It's almost better to give up on prayer because at least you know what you've done. But the more subtle thing is to just fade away into unbelief and continue to pray, but don't really expect results. For all of us, I think it's healthy to ask God, what? what? For my my part, what? Did I not do something I should have done? Now listen, don't go on a witch hunt. Because God may answer you, He may not. And I'll tell you ahead of time, He probably won't. And I'll show you why in a few minutes. Everybody okay? All right. So the biggest danger is to continue to pray but not expect any more result. That makes you a lukewarm Christian. So what, what can we know? That's what my thinking is. What, what do I know? I'm not going to speculate about what I don't know. What can I know and what we should we do? So I'm going to go through, in the time we have, quickly, seven points. Number one, and this is very important. Put the scripture up, Deuteronomy 29, 29. Unless God shows us the answer, we can never know why our prayers were not answered. Look at this, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do the words of the law. Here's the point. There's a very important distinction between when you're praying for something for yourself and when you're praying for something for someone else. And you'll see why in a minute. So there are things that God will choose to reveal to us and there are things God will choose not to reveal to us. One of the best examples of this is the book of Job. 
very difficult book to read and understand at times. Because the book of Job is about a man who God says was a righteous man. And Satan comes to get permission to afflict his life, to test him. And God said he's a righteous man. And Job has a couple of days that you would never want to even think about. <laughs> in, in two days he loses, he loses everything he has and he was one the wealthiest man in that area. He loses his family, except for his wife, and maybe she's the one he should have lost. No, I shouldn't say. <laughs> and he loses his health, all in about two days. And then to go from bad to worse, his friends show up. Oh, you don't want friends like them. Because the next 30 ver- chapters are a dialogue back and forth between those friends and Job trying to figure out why this happened to Job. And then around chapter 32, a man named Elihu shows up who speaks on behalf of God. And then, I love this, the scene where I pictured, finally around chapter, I think it's 40 or 41, God just shows up. It's kind of like he puts Elihu aside and says, let me answer Job. Because Job has just spoken out all kinds of things. And when God's finished with his answer, he never answers why. God shows up on the scene. I mean, it's as if God literally appeared here right now and we all want to know why and God speaks to us and never tells us why. That's significant. Because God knows what's important and what's not important for us to know. What did God talk about? God spent two and a half chapters reminding Job who God is. Because Job and his friends were trying to accuse God of not being fair. And Remember, all my comments now have nothing to do with the Sullivan family. This is not what they did. I'm trying to teach you something. Job was pouring out, and I can understand, you go through times like that, you, you find out what's really in you. You don't know what's in you until you get under pressure. There's some grapes that have seeds in them and some that don't. The only way I know how to find them is to squeeze them. And pressure brings out what's really in you. And it brought out some attitudes that Job had that I don't think he knew he had. And he began to accuse God and say, this isn't fair. And what's really not fair is if you were a person, I could haul you into court and somebody would decide which one of us is right and wrong. So what God reminds him of when God shows up is who God is. It's the great cross-examination of all times. Job, where were you when I laid out the foundation of the earth? Job, where were you when I hung the sky, the sky? Job, did I consult you about this? Can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? What's he doing? He's instilling again in Job what the Bible calls the fear of the Lord. Not afraid of God, the reverence for who this God is. Now, whether I ever understand the answers or not, I still trust you. Whether I ever understand what you do or don't do, I see because what the danger with faith is, we start thinking we can control God. We start thinking we have some rights. I don't want my rights because the only thing I'm entitled to 
by myself is to burn forever in hell. I don't want my rights. God out of His mercy, God out of His love and compassion does what He does. And so faith is real. God wants us to come to Him in faith. God wants us to ask Him. We've learned that and we'll learn that again and again and again. But in the process, we can't ever forget who He is. And He'll answer what He wants to answer. And He always does that for what's best for us. Father knows best. See, in our humanness, we want to understand... We want to figure out. I've done funerals for people that were taken away at a very early age. And it's interesting. I found that in my life, when I found out that somebody's passed on, one of the first questions, well, how old were they? And I asked, why do I ask that question? Because in my human mind, I want to connect. Well, if they were older, then there's some sense in that. But if someone's life is lost at a young age, that doesn't fit into the expectations we have. So I want to understand why. Because understanding how gives me a sense of control and security. And God just wants us to trust Him when we don't understand. And trust Him as our security, not leaning to our own understanding. Second point as to what we can do. When it comes to praying for someone else, there are limits to what our faith can do. There were limits to what Jesus' faith could do. (gasps) Praying for someone else is different than believing for yourself. Our faith cannot override someone else's will. In Mark chapter 6, put that up there. This is in his own hometown. This is in Jesus' hometown. Look at what it says. Jesus could do. This is the Son of God. Jesus could do, could do no mighty work there, except He laid hands on a few sick people, and in the Greek, that implies just like headaches, and healed them. So their heart what their heart was set to do, because the problem was, we don't have time to go back and look at it, the problem was they couldn't get over the fact that this was Joseph and Mary's son. So they did not receive him in their heart for who he was, and as a result, he could not do something. He couldn't override their faith, well, their will. If Jesus couldn't override their will, we can't, with our faith, override someone else's will. For a believer, especially when you're dealing with a life and death situation, there is a private, intimate connection between them and their Lord. And it's so private that most of the time, Jesus will not let us into that intimacy. So there can come a point in someone's life when they're looking beyond this life, and they're looking at their Savior, and they may have gone through a long struggle, and they just choose to go. And if they do that, there's nothing you can do. Jesus couldn't to stop that. I remember when my wife's father was in a hospital holding on. We got out there and spent some time with him, and he was saved. I'd led him to the Lord. And I remember before we left whispering to him, 
that it's, it's okay if you want to go. And within a day, he had gone, and I know others of you have similar testimonies. But I want you to know, to Jesus, that is an intimate moment where there's a decision made between that person and Jesus. And it's nothing personal to us. If you, if, if you ever saw Jesus' face, there's nothing like it. I, I'm not. If I did, I might go. <laughs> Third point, regardless of our experience, it doesn't change God's Word. Listen to this. We can never judge God's Word by the results. I started in the story earlier when Jesus came off the mountain and, and the, the man had brought his son to those nine disciples. And they came, this is it, and they came come to the multitude. A man came to him and sat kneeling down and saying to him, verse 15, Lord, have mercy on me, my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and into the water, verse 16. I brought him to your disciples, look at this, but they could not cure him. Their prayers weren't answered. His disciples, nine of them, got together, spitting, gyrating, jumping up and down. I don't know what they were doing, but they were trying to pray that demon out of him, and nothing happened. And so he brings them to Jesus. Jesus said, oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? Bring him to, here to me. Now, verse, no, and Jesus rebuked the demon, and demon it came out, and the child was cured for that very hour. Something. Notice what Jesus did not say. Jesus did not say, your prayers weren't answered. I guess God's not His will to heal this boy. But that's what we do. We see prayers not answering. I guess it wasn't God's will. See, we can't stop believing God's Word. Denny would never want you to stop believing God's Word. I know Dawn and her family would never want us to stop believing God's Word. You see, when we do that, oh, when we look at a situation, we look at God's Word, and we look at the results we got, and we question God's Word based on the results, listen carefully, we have become judges of God. That's what Job was doing. I don't want that conversation with Job, God that Job had. When we judge God's Word by results... We're judging God and we're judging God's word by a standard. It's exactly what happened in the garden. Satan got them to doubt and question God's word. And that's what he's been after ever since. Next point. God has a different perspective on death than we do. Psalm 116 Verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. We see it as a failure because our prayers weren't answered. God doesn't see it as a failure. I got news for you. If you're a Christian, you're all gonna, we're all going to end up there. But there is an intimacy that Jesus has and wants to have with each one of us. And just as that veil of flesh has been removed from Denny and he can see the Lord face to face, it's also been removed so Jesus can see Denny face to face. And that is very, 
precious to the Lord. Philippians chapter 1, this is Paul's wrestling because of the stuff he went through that wore him down. We've talked about some of this before. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, verse 22. For if I live on in this flesh, it will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. Paul was really, because of things he was going through, was really struggling with whether to stay here or go on to be with the Lord. Notice it sounded as if he had something to say in it. I believe, the, I believe this. I'm not telling you this in the Bible. But I believe that the decision of when somebody goes that's in that situation, it's a private decision between the Lord and them. That's why it's very precious. And so all our praying can't interfere with that. It can give the opportunity, and I do believe our prayers kept him here because there were several times when the doctor said it was too late, it was over. I'm hard-pressed between the two having the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, I'm going to remain with you turkeys. No, I'm going to remain because it's needful to be here for your sake. Notice Paul made the decision not for what he wanted, but what was for best for the people, but he wanted for him to go on. So God's perspective on death is very, very different than ours. The next thing is we need to focus right now our love and support for Dawn, for Denny's girls, and for his family. There was such an outpouring of love and support that just we need to continue that. This whole experience brought this church together around something. We can't lose that because that focus is gone. We need to continue it for, for Denny, for Dawn and the children, and the girls, not children, and their family. We need to continue that. The whole experience has brought many of us together out of love for our brother and his family. We cannot lose what we've begun to taste. And here's the bottom line. <laughs> no matter what happens in your life, no matter what happens to you that's good, no, what, no matter what happens to you that's not good, even tragedy, no matter what happens when your prayers are answered, no matter what happens if your prayer, you don't see the answer that you want, it ultimately comes down to this. I had a pastor's meeting this week online with some pastors, and I'm the oldest. Yeah, I know, dear. I'm the oldest. I got a big clock back there. I'm, I'm the oldest in this group. Um, we've been through this church, and I've been through a number of challenges. And the gentleman that led the group asked me something. He said, John, how have you been able to go through these things and stay strong? And I didn't have to think about it. It's the same thing I'm going to tell you. It's where we always have to keep our focus. We get things happen that distract us and pull our focus off. But here's where our focus has to always be set to come back to no matter what happens. Matthew 16, 24. And Jesus said unto his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. My answer to this group of pastors is, 
the focus of my life. I have other things I'm focused on, my family, my, but the ultimate focus of my life is my Lord called me to follow Him. Simply follow Him. And when everything else falls apart, I've got to make sure I'm still focused on following Jesus. He said we have to deny ourselves. That means we have to deny ourselves the privilege of self-pity. Grieving is normal. Grieving is healthy. But you should come through the grieving. But grieving and self-pity are different things. Grieving is for the loss of somebody that we love and means something to us. But self-pity is, I didn't get my prayers answered. Self-pity is focused back on me. We must deny ourself that right. To take up, to take up our cross, which means a sacrificial love of Jesus and that what, wherever He calls us to go through for Him, we will go through it for Him and with Him. And then the last thing He calls us to do is to focus Him. Our focus has to be on Him. And I was going over this yesterday. I hope I don't lose it. There's an example that I've often used of what it means to follow. And as I was looking this over, all I could remember is the one person I always used. Was Denny. I never thought of it before, but part of it is Denny was a great follower. He was, he, he was sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and he followed the Holy Spirit. So I would, for those of you, I would have Denny come up, and I said, Denny, I'm just going to ask you to follow me. And I'd wander all over the stage. I wouldn't tell him where we were going. And all he had to do was keep his eyes on me, and he got, I got him by following me to where he needed to go. Denny has had his eyes on Jesus and he's followed him into glory. And now he beholds him in all of his glory. It's not in my notes. They don't have the scripture back there because this came to me. I know it by heart, but I want to read it. I want to close with a scripture. We're going to pray for Dawn and her family and that it's very appropriate that we celebrate the Lord's table together. So bear with me, we're a little over when we normally end. Romans 8, Paul, who went through amazing hardships, wrote these words. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or perilous sword, as is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray.
I want to pray for Dawn and for their girls and for their whole family. Father, we thank you today that in this time of mourning, in this time of grief, in this time of loss, in this time of confusion, in this time where we feel challenged, we thank you that you have already gone before us and made a way through this. That you are the God of all comfort so that we may comfort others with with the comfort that you have comforted us. We thank you that you put your precious Holy Spirit in us and he is the comforter. But We pray this morning specifically for Dawn who has fought an amazing fight of faith. In her humanness, there have been times when she's felt weak, but you were there sometimes just directly to encourage her, and there were times you were there through friends and through others, and your prayers of the saints sustained her and their girls through this. Father, her stand has been an example for others. And now we pray for her and we pray for Bethany and Becky and Libby and for all of her family. We pray, Father, for these next few days and next few weeks that the same grace that has strengthened and sustained them through this time will continue to strengthen them and sustain them through this adjustment that they go through. We thank you, Father, that the people that have prayed for her and for them throughout all of this will continue to pray and that your body will come closer and closer together here as one, as several members are suffering a wound and a loss. We pray today, Father, we pray, Lord, today for rest and refreshing at the right time because there's a need for rest now. There's a need for refreshing. There's a need for restoration. And we pray for that to begin with the Holy Spirit on the inside and to give her wisdom in ways that that rest and reflection can go to her soul, their souls and even to their bodies. We pray for wisdom for those that are around them in their family, those that are around them in their daily life, in their friends, in their acquaintances, the wisdom of what to share, when to share, and how to share. And may you continue to draw us closer and closer together as the body of Christ strengthens and helps one another, shares the burden as we share joy with one another. For the grace to do that, Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to share the Lord's table together. So if you have an element at home, please make sure you have it ready now. But before we do that, we always, before we end the service, want to make sure we've given an opportunity to anyone that's watching or maybe even here this morning that's never 
receive Christ into your life as your personal Savior. Maybe you're like me. I was raised in church. Not a church like this. I was raised in a denominational church and and I was taught from a child that Jesus is the Son of God. I was taught as a child that Jesus died to pay for the sins of the world. But it wasn't until I was about 36 years old that I realized that that wasn't enough. I needed to have a personal relationship with Jesus and I had to do that by asking him to come into my life and receiving him as the one that paid for my sins. It's not enough to believe he paid for sin. You must, it's a personal transaction. And one night in my living room or my hallway, actually about one o'clock in the morning, I did that. I said, Jesus, I don't even know if you're real, but I'm asking you to come into my life. And I know that that night he came in, I was filled with something I've never experienced before. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets into heaven. No one knows come to my Father unless they come through a personal relationship with me. It's not how good you are. You can't be good enough. It's not how faithful you are. You can't be faithful enough. It's not anything about you except that you respond to his invitation. The Bible puts it this way. And this is for you right now. Jesus, he says, is standing at the door of your heart, knocking. Will you open the door and let him in to your life and into your heart? If that's you this morning, or maybe you're somebody that's done this before and you've wandered off, Jesus still loves you. He wants you to come back right now. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, I'm going to ask you to repeat this very simple prayer with me. Just mean it as best you can. That's all you can do. I'll give you a simple instruction at the end, and then we're going to share the Lord's table together. So if you'd all join me, say, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. You know everything I've ever done everything I've ever said, everything I ever thought. For whatever did not please you, I ask you to forgive me. I repent. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. Make me clean in your sight. Jesus, I ask you to come into my life as my Savior. And I take my life as it is right now, and I put it into your hands to be Lord. Fill me with your spirit that I may live strong for you for the rest of my days. Amen. If you prayed that with us this morning and you meant that, here's what I want you to do if you're watching online. I want you to call our office tomorrow morning, 508-336-4110. Someone will answer the phone. The reason I want you to call is we have some free material that we want to send out to you to give you a better understanding of what you've done today. Second thing I want you to do is tune in next week at 9.30. Also, live streaming wherever you are, or you can come and join us because we're going to continue along similar lines. of.